0: School PR professionals spend a week or two each year networking, if they're lucky. We pour into this professional development and the conversations drive us in our work. Collaboration is one of the best parts of our job, but then we go back to our daily work and the buzz of bright conversations and innovation starts
1: to wear off. Welcome to School PR Happy Hour. We seek to create a shared space of collaboration and an opportunity to continue those conversations long after the closing sessions of our state and national conferences.
0: We are a community, a community of communicators that lean on each other in hard times and learn from each other regularly.
1: This podcast is about just that, getting to know each other better and sharing our passions about furthering education one story at a time.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to School PR Happy Hour. I'm Erin McCann, APR, a communications consultant in the aviation industry and a school PR veteran. Has this year felt like a whirlwind for all of you? There's so much going on. Time is flying and stories of schools continue to make the news for good reasons and, sadly, tragic reasons. As a school PR practitioner, your jobs are tough enough trying to rebalance all the responsibilities of the day-to-day. I wanted to give you a new tool in your arsenal, so joining me today is friend of the show, Ben Pankinen from Class Intercom. Not only has Ben and his team been a champion of School PR Happy Hour since the very beginning, but he's also taken his background in coding and his expertise in making tools more convenient for educators and school PR practitioners, and is here to share about using AI to life hack school PR. So, without any more hesitation, let's talk to Ben. Hello, this is Dr. Jill from Class Intercom, and we're honored to once again be the official sponsor of School PR Happy Hour. I spent 30 years in education as a teacher and administrator, so I know the challenges schools face when it comes to social media. Class Intercom makes approvals, moderation, reporting, and archiving easy. With our support, schools and districts are able to champion student voice and tell impactful stories that engage their communities. To learn more, contact Jill at classintercom.com or visit classintercom.com. Okay, Ben, it has been a long time since I've had a chance to see your face, but I'm so happy you're here. How are you?
1: Doing well, doing well. It's, it's, it's great to see you.
0: I know it's been a minute and I didn't get to catch up with you and the class intercom team at Teespra this year and I'm not gonna get to go to INSPRA. So I definitely am suffering a little FOMO but I know Justin will take good care of you guys, but everything's going well?
1: Yeah, things are going well, um, you know, we continue kind of growing the team and traveling all over. Uh, so, so that's been fun, but yeah, it's it's been fun to see, you know, a lot of school PR folks in person. Um, I was just in California last week and got to catch up with a lot of folks and, um, you know, we'll see some more um, on the other side of the country next week.
0: Well, it is fun to get to see people in person and I'm glad that we're kind of trending back that, back that direction. But for some of our listeners who may be new to the show or haven't caught one of the episodes where we had you or Jill before, um, let's just give you an opportunity to talk about who you are, your background, why you're joining us, and then tell us everything about Class Intercom and why it's such a great company.
1: Well, thanks, Aaron. You know, I, I've gotten to you know meet you and, and know you for a handful of years now, as, as well as Justin, and it's been really fun to track the journey of this podcast and how important it is uh, for school PR. Uh, but a little bit of my background, I, I don't know if I've ever shared it on this podcast. So, uh, you know, I started out in tech. Um, you know, I started out, uh, my team is writing a bio and they're saying 20, 20 years ago-ish, and I'm going, I, I don't think I'm that old. No, but me neither. Yeah, it's like, it's a long time ago. Um, <laughs> Uh, I started out in tech. I I was building uh, actually websites in college. So my roommate who uh, is now my dentist was like, what are you doing over there? And I'm like, well, I'm actually, um, you know, I'm building time, I'm making websites for these like small businesses in town. And he's like, how are you doing that? And I was like, "I I don't know. I just sort of like learned how to make the websites. And so, you know, in college, I studied business and computer science and just was always around a lot of that web design, you know, building software products, and it just always uh, was an engaging process for me. And, um, you know, my actually my first internship, when I was in college was at a newspaper. And so I'd gotten to know the person running the newspaper just a little bit, and uh, ended up being just a lifelong mentor of mine and hired me out for the summer to build their website. And I showed up uh, to make literally kind of their first website as a newspaper. And it's really awesome to watch how that's industry has moved from that time to now, right, where we're seeing a lot less journalists at newspapers, which is really scary and sad. and, And, you know, we try to go to bat for as many and I have just a a heart for that business and that industry, having gotten a little bit of a start there, but also got to experience a little bit of this change. And so most of my career has been in those changes where we have these uh, dramatic changes of how do we move from something that uh, we, we've always uh, subscribed to a newspaper that uh, we, we unfolded, and now uh, we're receiving it in a digital format. And that changes the way we write, the way that it gets distributed, uh, changes everything about it. And so that, a lot of my background has been in spaces like that and have helped run some tech companies and you know about five years ago i got to interact with uh, a group of students uh you know my friend taylor called me up and said hey would you come speak to this group of about a hundred high school students i know you've got a a social media software company and would you just kind of come and do a workshop with students and in the midst of that workshop, I had about a two hour span that I was filling and about halfway through, uh, there were four young gals in the front row and matching MacBook Airs uh, all kind of you know, lined up and you could tell they were the good students. And I realized as I'm assigning them work to do, which was to make content for their school, they were posting it onto the Facebook account. Nice. And so I, I turned to one of them and I said, well, well how are you doing this? Because I, I look over and I see that she's on Facebook and uh, she points uh, to the to the edge of her MacBook and uh, she's got a, a post-it note with a username and password of the school's social media accounts on it. And I said, "Oh wow!" Um, I just sort of paused in my mind. I, I had spent a bunch of time in financial services and regulated industries, and I thought, you know, I built a software that actually helps with a lot of this kind of process for managing social media. Uh, how can I help this to happen for this school? Because on one hand, like I want journalism to exceed, and I want, um, I, I want some really positive interactions as students. I remembered, you know, times myself being a student, creating the videos for my school, playing them during homeroom, all of that sort of interaction, I wanted that to happen. But at the same time, I wanted it to be a safe environment. And so um, I ended up following up with there were five schools there that day, Uh, had a a little Zoom call with them and said, like, what are you doing to solve this problem? And they said, either we're not allowing students to be a part of the social media process or, you know, we're just handing them a post-it note with the username and password and just having kind of a free-for-all student takeover. And I was like, well, we, we can help solve both of those problems and hopefully we can get opportunities for so many more viewpoints uh, to be happening uh, within schools. And so that was really kind of where, uh, where we got started with Class Intercom and it's been such a fun journey since and I've gotten to meet so many great people and so many amazing students that are incredibly creative and uh, dynamic.
0: Well, and you and your team have always been so incredibly supportive of this show, and we're, we're so grateful for that. But as a former client, because when I was still working for a district, I used your product in in my district and absolutely loved it. I feel like I probably only scratched the surface of what we could have done because I think our overlap was about a year before I transitioned to a new role. But just the the ability to, you know, safe, safety. When we're talking about our kids and the fact that they're under 18 and, you know, the brain is still developing sometimes on their personal social channels, they make some questionable choices, so we need some safeguards. Um, but I just loved the review process that you had, and that you had different kinds of users so that you had lots and lots of content creators, but it couldn't just go out without the right level of moderation. So I always appreciated that about your work.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think safety is it's one of those things that we talk in mental health all the time, right? You know, you've talked about Ted Lasso on the show and, you know, it's certainly one of my favorite shows. I'm so glad we're in the new season. But as we talk about safety and we talk about thinking about what happens when we help um, students to be safe, but when we also help faculty to be safe, we start to have really creative environments and we start to have really positive storytelling happen within schools. And that's the really exciting part, you know, having grown up. Um, in a public school that uh, is now a client, uh, which was really fun, um, actually um, met them at NSPRA, which was uh, s- a awesome. super funny experience to sort of meet your high school uh, communications director <laughs> at NSPRA, and um, so I, I've gone out there and, and worked with the students, uh, like, like literally got teary like working with these students, sure. thinking about the opportunities that get passed along because it's, it's a really awesome experience to get to see what they can do. And uh, when they feel safe, uh, the same happens like with adults, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes when we're like, Hey, I want to contribute to content, or I want to tell part of my story, but I'm not really okay with it being published yet. Maybe I'm not a full-time communications person. And I really want somebody else to review it. I I actually still do that. I did that today with uh, some content that I was working with our team, I wanted to publish some content, but I wanted some other people who are working on this every day to look at it. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a really important part of the process because I feel more free to be creative if I've got somebody else looking at it at the same time. So sometimes we look at moderation as, as a, a situation where it lacks creativity but it actually can really enhance creativity when you feel safer
0: I completely agree I had a supervisor in a previous role one of the districts I worked in who used to say all the time that a river without banks is a flood and I just love that I think it's so applicable because it doesn't matter what your position is and it doesn't really matter what you're doing if you don't kind of have some structure around that and that can look like so many different things then you're not going to be successful
1: Very true. Very true. Yeah, I like that one. I might steal that one.
0: Feel free. It wasn't mine originally, but I'll take credit. Listen, Ben, when I was talking with your colleague, Dr. Jill, trying to brainstorm some content for this episode, she told me something that I didn't know about you, and she said that you've really become somewhat of an expert in using artificial intelligence to, and I'm going to quote her here, life hack school PR. So this caught my interest. This is not in my wheelhouse. I know nothing about it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. There's such a buzz with AI like we see it all the time. I booked some flights the other day for a trip I'm taking and I'm chatting with a bot and you know that it's a bot because certain little pieces don't quite work right. You've got this background in software development. So tell me everything. How can we use this in schools?
1: Well, that's really fun. I I, I appreciate that Jill uh, said that I was an expert. Um, The the funny thing about AI and where AI is at today is um, no one has a really good head start in this space because it's changing so quickly. Um, But the the foundational elements of software development and really technology uh, really haven't changed all that much. But the acceleration at which uh, it's starting to feel human is really amazing. So if you've started to play at all with uh, chat.gpt, you know, Chat GPT, which is the part of the open AI project, or um, Google just released uh, their bard, um, uh, you know, which you can opt into, there's a number of different uh, applications that are starting to use more AI. And I think what's interesting is that it's started to feel more human in its responses. So you referenced using uh, a chat bot, which is certainly part of that. It could even be fed by some of those technologies uh, to help it to feel more intelligent. But what happens is, it's sort of like, um, if I think of any other example of, like, you know, when I interact with my dog, when there's ever something that happens with my dog and all of a sudden he seems kind of human, I, I sort of, am I, like I remark at it, right? Like, look how smart he is, right? <laughs> right? But but then, the like the inverse is also true, right? When my dog does something dumb, then I'm like, look, look, that's my dumb dog, right? <laughs> and, and we sort of like explain it that way because we sort of benchmark as humans everything against, here's what is human and feels human and interacts as though it's human. And then sometimes something surprises us. Uh-huh. And you know back in November, December, when we started to have some major advances in AI, um, those of us who started, you know the day it came out and opened up Chat GPT and we said, "Oh wow, this is advanced and it feels human in its response to me." That was a shocking experience in that same way. And I think it it also, I've had the interactions with a lot of people uh, in PR roles who will say, well, but the problem was I started to interact with it and it actually didn't feel human. Okay. And one of those interactions, I would say, the first thing I did when I started using ChatGPT is it gives you a little search box. So it gives me a little box. And so I started using it just like I would use something like Google. Like so when I go out to Google, I sort of type something in and I I expect it to send me a list of sites that I might go to. Right. Well, AI doesn't do that. uh, Fundamentally, AI is actually assembling data for you. So what's fundamentally different about it is if I go back to 20 years ago, the way that we used Google, Uh, I actually went back to the Wayback Machine uh, just a a month ago, because we were working on some AI concepts and and learning it. And I said, you know, when we first started using Google, uh, there was a link at the bottom right underneath your Google box that said how to Google (laughs) and you click on it. So I went back to the Wayback Machine and I kid you not, it says you can go back and check me 2001 on Google. The example that it says is consider if you are using a search that says Boston hotels, consider altering your search to say Boston hotel. That's how simplified Google was in 2001, right? Like we didn't realize that we had to be that specific Uh and we had to use things like Boston and hotel, or we had to search in terms like that. We've started to now use what we call natural language processing. So in Google, it means I, I now search for things like, what's the best hotel in Boston? Uh-huh. And, and that's that's the type of search that I would use on Google. Well, now that we're introducing something that doesn't send me to a link, you know, to a bunch of links for hotels, what I can now do is I can go into ChatGPT, I just did this for a vacation, I said, If I'm going to be in Boston for five days, what should I do? And then it will type out paragraphs and it will tell me the hot spots and here's what to do. And it will actually write that text for me. So it's a fundamentally different way of thinking because I'm asking it to actually answer the questions. Or in some cases, I'm actually asking it to interact with me so one of the things you know we we call this prompt engineering when we're typing these so it actually to me feels more like when i'm coding so when i'm thinking of coding it's a very logical pattern and i i write things because i want certain responses back from the machine right Mm -hmm. that's the way i think of it um you know when i think of how i generate content um, we also have certain areas that are very formulaic in nature as in school PR, we have certain parts of, of the job that are just formulaic uh, writing, mm-hmm. right? So the most obvious would be something like a press release. So when I go to write a press release, right, I have a, I have a certain intro that I'm going mm-hmm. to schedule, right? So I was actually working with uh, Dr. Jill on this, and I said, here's how I would write a press release with uh, Chat GPT or Google Baird or whatever. Um, I would come in and I would write it and I would give it all of the context because what it doesn't know is context. Here's what happened at the school to inspire a press release. Here's the actions that we as a school took. Maybe here's the law enforcement's example. And then maybe here's a quote from our principal about this situation in the press release. And I enter all of that in that text box and now boom, I press enter, and it will generate the entire press release for me because it's very formulaic.
0: Okay, so I'm processing everything as you're saying this here. So you're literally just typing any information, kind of almost like a brain dump into this text box. And because it's not only interpreting, but it's also engaging, it's actually structuring composed sentences based on the information you're feeding it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when when I think of things like that, um, You know, what what becomes really interesting is I start to say, hey, the the way that I'm structuring something like a press release is very structured content. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it should be structured. That's what makes it easy to interpret, easy to understand. But the things that make a press release interesting are actually things that I have to input because I know those as a human who's experienced this and has all of that sort of context. Uh, where we fail a lot of times in our early interpretations of how we would feed an AI machine is we often give it not enough context. Sure. So we give it just a little bit. We use it like Google. We go, hey, what should I use for a press release? Well, it'll give you a template, um, but I could get that from Google. Uh, but if I go to uh, you know, an AI machine like that, that's writing and assembling content from a variety of different sources, I can actually ask it to, to formulaically create that.
2: Hey friends, unless you are living under a rock or aren't paying attention to the podcast you are currently listening to, artificial intelligence or AI has become one of the hottest topics in industries everywhere, including school PR. Recently the team at CISO met and discussed the potential impact that this new technology could have on the school PR community. If we are being honest, it has a chance to be a game changer. Recently CISO released a blog post with our findings and thoughts on AI and what we have been seeing, hearing, and even trying in our day-to-day communications. From creating a first draft, to adding fun slang into your social media. These tips and tricks for ChatGPT and other AI technologies are your C. So, top tip for this episode. Head over to the SchoolPR Happy Hour Twitter account, at SPR Happy Hour, and you will find this blog post pinned on the account. Also, my name is James, and I am a free AI voiceover technology available online. At CISO, we partner with districts to strategically approach their communications. If your district is interested in learning more about how we can work together, we would love to connect with you. Visit the CISO.com and connect with us. You can also follow us on our social channels at cisocoms. Let us help you rethink possible.
0: So do we have colleagues that are already using this in school PR or are we coming oh, in sure. with we do okay so so where are yeah. they using it they're using it for press releases what else
1: yeah so so press releases are a really interesting component um you know and there's there's certainly some blowback uh, there was one uh, at a university uh just uh month or two ago that had, uh, that had released a press release during a tragic event. And they actually accidentally included the, uh, phrase down at the bottom that said, uh, written by chat GPT. Oh, that's uh, so oops on that. Right. Um, but you know, so there's, there's definitely some strong cautions I, I would have in using it. Um, you have to read it. You have to understand it. Uh, But, you know, when you're using that sort of structured format, one of the other things that happens a lot of times is you start to have events that happened last year that are going to happen again this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, When that happens, one of the things you can do is paste in all of that copy and content, and you can ask it to revise the dates, location, information to a different event and new location, right? So there's actually a lot of content that we spend our time doing in school PR that might be repetitive in nature. So it might be something where we made this press release last year or we made this piece of information last year. Now we want to have it write it again. Um, Those are really simple use cases for something like ChatGPT. Uh, You know, another one that's really interesting is, you know, we start to get a little bit more complicated uh, when we start to think about things like, you know, my my wife's a teacher and uh, in January she is teaching a brand new class and she said, hey, I'm just working on the syllabus for this class. And I said, well, what's the class title? So I'm sitting there on my laptop and I sort of take her class title uh, I said, did you have a description anywhere? And she goes, well, no, it's about this and it's about that. And she sort of telling it to me. And um, I paste it all into ChatGPT and I turn around and I say, well, would this work? I said, how many sections do you have? She said, well, I have 16, uh, you know, different mm-hmm. touch points. And so it spits out a syllabus and she turns to me and goes, you cannot imagine I just spent two hours making that. Like, you know, now how I introduce creativity in the classroom, how I do that, that's all a different exercise. But what I actually need to formulate for something like a syllabus that is very logical and works through a progression of different topics, that's actually something that uh, an AI machine does an incredible job of writing.
0: I mean so many thoughts here first um i'm i'm teaching a class again next summer so will you please write my syllabus for me i'm very very busy that'd be great um but two so this is a healthy dose of paranoia and everything i do is it is it a fear that machines are becoming so sophisticated and so human-like that like we might all be out of a job as school PR practitioners
1: well, I love that you asked that. Um, you know, I always think of the, uh, the episode of The Office where Dwight is competing against the machine, right? He's, <laughs> right. A, he's sort of the salesman against the machine. And you know, that's not the scenario we want, right? Like that's not a good situation where we're sort of dragging our feet and uh, you know telling people we don't want to compete against the machine. At, at the end of the day, we want to do and learn the things that AI isn't going to do right. so we can edu- educate AI to do the thing that it, that it can really help us to be more efficient at. Mm-hmm. So when we think about that, like one of the first things I was working with one of our interns uh, who's doing uh, branding uh, you know, at the university, is um, graduating soon. But I said, well, you're working on a branding project with clients. I said, when you hand a new client a brand, are you giving them AI prompts that tell them how they could educate AI to talk about their brand? And he said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, we give him like a logo. We give them uh-huh. like a, some title and language. And I said, why wouldn't you write, you know, that about section? Uh-huh. Uh, when you write that at the bottom of your press release or you write that in the bottom of all of these sections, I said that language now becomes so much more important. You need to be pasting that every time you're using AI because it's now going to say, well, now I know about what Lincoln High School is about. I know what Lincoln Public Schools is all about because I've got the language that's ready to go for that. Uh, so things like that become really important because th- that, that writing actually becomes more important than it ever was before. The other thing that's really interesting is, um, and you, you can experience this in so many different ways, but um, AI is not very good at interpreting, creating, or evoking emotion.
0: Okay, right. That makes sense.
1: So you know, like 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 Aaron, when we get together and we talk and we see each other in person, I know you're not going to be at Ensbro, but we'll figure it out. We're going to find a time
0: about that, by the way. But yes, go on. Okay,
1: okay, (laughs) we're going to find a time, and you know, we're we're going to have a conversation about how life really is. Mm -hmm. You know, how the family's doing. You know, how in the midst of a pandemic, you were uh, getting more education and you were learning about uh, different industries and you were engaging professionally in so many different ways, at the same time growing a family and managing all of those things as a mom. And that speaks to the heart of the pain and sacrifice and emotion that you've had to go through in the last four or five years that I've known you, uh, which is inspiring uh, to me, and it's inspiring to your listeners, and it's inspiring to all the people around you. And that is the type of thing that AI can't connect to.
0: Well, thank you for your kind words. And what an excellent point, right? Like if we're if we're running in fear or, you know, maybe just running slightly paranoid as maybe I do it from time to time, it's a great point. Like we can we can take these tools and we can train these tools to be useful resources. But at the end of the day, it doesn't make up for the human interaction, the human emotion.
1: Exactly. So when we think about all of the things we have to tell stories about in schools, Right. We think about the individual students that need their story told and we need to uh, disperse those stories. It's not just the story that makes it into the newspaper that we want to retell somewhere else. AI can tell that story. It's already hit the newspaper. It's hit. uh, It's hit the Internet somewhere. That's not the interesting story. Ask AI to go find the underdog in your school. Ask them to uncover that story like a journalist would, like the opportunity to go walk into that classroom and say, here's a young student who has had adversity and has had to overcome this. And the only way we can understand and relate to emotion is when we've dealt with those types of emotion. Right? When we can empathize with that and say, I know what it's like to feel like an underdog, I know what it's like to not have my voice be heard, and I know what happens when all of a sudden it it does have success and it finds an audience. And those are the types of things that we get really passionate about. And AI is not good at that yet, right? It might help you create the list of blogs, stories, and it might help you, um, you know, set up a calendar of events and help you restructure your content, come up with ideas even but it it doesn't help create that emotionally engaging story that we can uncover by being in a school, by going and capturing that event. We can ask it to tell us about a football game, but it won't tell us about the football game we just experienced or the last second shot as we're finishing March Madness, we get to witness last night. That's the type of thing it can't do yet.
0: So the school PR practitioner lives to serve another day.
1: Yeah, I th- I think you're right. I think you're right. I think, you know, just like Dwight beatman the, the machine, you know. I think I think we're going to be fine on that front. Uh, it is going to change the nature of our work though.
0: Well, and I think uh, I think there's
1: going to be more expected of us.
0: You know what? What a great way that you just said that. There will be more expected of us, but maybe it can help us jump a few steps ahead, too. So, while you were speaking there, I kept thinking about the four years that I spent as a one-person shop in a previous district mm-hmm. and how if I had the technical knowledge to do so. And if these tools had been available, how I could have streamlined so much of my work and really just cut out extraneous things that kind of suck up your time because they could just have been done twice as fast. But I did notice that every instance that we've talked about where we might use it in school PR all falls under kind of the public relations realm. What about some of these additional areas that our school PR folks are being asked to help with? Marketing recruitment how could we use it in some of those things that are sort of pr adjacent
1: yeah so so one of the things that happens in uh yeah pr adjacent uh there's so many things Uh, one of the things that's not being talked about a ton in in school pr or or really anywhere else is that um, actually ai is pretty good at decisioning Mm -hmm. so it's pretty good at helping us take large amounts of data and interpret them uh, into smaller things uh, so, so it allows us to see um, you know, where I, I'm really hoping it's going to help me in the near future is with my email, uh, because I receive a lot of emails. A lot of the things that I receive over email are not that interesting. Uh, they might be sales emails. They might be you know some random newsletters, things like that. But separating those out, no, Gmail does some of that for me, and it has some AI built into it. Google's been working on this for a long time. But there are major advances that it can start to make for me in helping me know the difference between this email and email I need to take action on and email I don't need to take action Mm -hmm. on. Additionally, if I'm looking at a large data set of, let's say it's content that's about... You know all of the things happening in a school survey data information like that that I want to pull back and assemble and develop into a marketable report that maybe I spit back to the board or I send it over to uh, some other people for review that type of information it could do a great job of already Um, you know additionally as you talk about marketing uh, you know if you've used a tool like canva lately canva has some great ai machines now built into it where it will in a sense help you to develop and do what you used to call photoshopping Mm Right? Now, instead of calling it Photoshopping, like we're calling it designed by AI because we're saying, hey, I actually want this character to no longer have blonde hair, but have red hair. Right. like, And I can assign that and I can type in text to have it do that. The other day I uh, I was at a stoplight. My dad was going in, he's got some health issues. He was in for a brain scan. And I said, uh, but it was during March Madness, and I was like, well, I wanna send him a joke. And so I asked AI to generate a photo for me that had a basketball in a brain scan. And so cool. at a stoplight, it generates that photo for me. Um, I use a product called DALL-E, it's D-A-L-L-E. Uh, it's built by OpenAI, and it sends me four photos that uh, one of them had like the laces inside of a brain in it. And so I texted to him and I'm like, maybe this is what they're gonna see today. Amazing. Right? And like that takes me 10 seconds. Like I didn't have to go like look at Google Photos or things like that. Um, it obviously from an ethics standpoint opens up other questions, but that's a really interesting thing that I'm able to generate, you know, in five, 10 seconds.
0: So there really is kind of a creative aspect to it, even though we just had this long conversation about how it's not as much a creative tool as it is a functional tool. There's a creative aspect as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I can have it generate uh, photos for me. Um, our, our graphic designers at our office are, you know, have a lot of fun with it where they sort of ask it really creative things. But the prompt engineering around photos is really tough. Yeah. Like you have to be very specific, but also try to think about really creative elements. Uh, and sometimes it does a great job and sometimes not yet.
0: You brought up something a moment ago that I do want to make sure that we touch on uh, before we kind of close out this interview, but you you mentioned kind of the ethical implication and that's been sort of churning in the back of my mind as you've been speaking is it's, it feels a little bit like we're on kind of the, the first frontier, right? Like the whole world is in front of us and it's expansive and there's so much possibility, But but what about the things that we already have in place? How are we protecting content that already exists? Authors that already exist, is there a copyright concern?
1: Yeah, uh, there's there's clearly copyright concerns. Uh, there's a, a emerging area of law, and anytime we say there's an emerging area of law, if we ask the attorney in the room, uh, <laughs> is there a copyright concern about the material that I just asked ChatGPT to generate for me? They're gonna say, well, maybe, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Of like like um, that's that's oftentimes what the lawyer in the room's gonna say. Um, but you can also ask those machines oftentimes, can you cite the source? Sure. And so that's one of the things we educate our co- copywriters here to do is when you're asking it to source different materials and you ask it to find materials for you, ask it to also cite the sources of where it's finding that. Just like you would tell a student to do mm-hmm. when they go to the library and they find something and they're writing a paper, they should cite the sources. Mm-hmm. So. Naturally, it won't cite the sources, but if you ask it, uh, please generate five examples and cite the sources for those five examples, it will do that for you. And so that becomes a really important thing so that we start to understand when we're citing a source and when this is net new content. And that becomes a really interesting component as we think about copyright. But also, I I would say, you know, we also want to focus in the areas where we're genuinely creating net new content, Mm -hmm. and that, to my my earlier point, we wanna really become journalists in our schools. We wanna find those opportunities to uncover the emotionally engaging and exciting content that we know is unique and new. And then use AI for the stuff that is assembly and organization and putting all of that together. And I think if we're really looking at where the future goes for school PR, that's where there's so much exciting opportunity because if i can free up more time to become the journalist to uncover those stories within a school then i have so much more time for that and i get to find the really truly unique opportunities that elevate my school
0: and that's why most of us went into this work isn't it like you just hear that consistently. Like, I came into school PR because I wanted to tell the stories of students, not because I want to sit at the admin building and go through a mountain of paperwork every day. And that comes, right? Like, you move up in leadership and that comes. But at the end of the day, we all want to be journalists on the ground.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's something we can't replace. I, it it breaks my heart to see where that industry that I started in is yeah. has gone to with so many fewer journalists in our, you know, in our communities, and I think it's, it's really an opportunity for us to say there are truly important stories for us to uncover. Uh, we've gotta find ways to uncover those. We've gotta do it in a systematic fashion oftentimes. We've gotta find ways that other people can help us un- uncover those stories, tell those. We can't be in every room, every building, so the more we can do that, uh, the more power there is in that.
0: Ben this has been such a wonderful chat. I've loved learning more and it's been great catching up with you. Do you mind sharing your content or content? Do you mind sharing your content or your contact information so our listeners can reach out if they have questions?
1: yeah absolutely you can always email me ben at classintercom.com uh, you can find me on all the social media channels it's ben pankin and p-a-n-k-o-n-i-n uh, but you know at Classintercom is where you'll find us all over the place and hopefully we'll meet you in person and we can have an emotionally engaging conversation like real people do
0: i love that so much thank you ben
1: thanks aaron it's been fun to be with you
0: Thanks for listening to School PR Happy Hour. If you have an idea for an episode in season four, reach out to us at schoolprhappyhour at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at SPR Hour. And until next time, let's all try to be a little bit better at our jobs every day.